Hi, I'm Haley Fox, and this is Weed Week. As you may notice, my co-host Alex Halperin's out this week. He's homesick with the flu, and that means that two-thirds of the Weed Week team have officially been taken out by the flu this year. But regardless, the show goes on. So we have a great one for you today. Um, there's been a lot of news coming out of the industry this week, so I'm going to start by getting you up to speed on what you may have missed. And then we have a really great interview that Alex and I actually taped last week with Anya Charbonneau, who's the founder of Broccoli, this super unique kind of artsy fashion-focused magazine that's marketed towards women who love cannabis. So first, let's do the news. Okay, this first story caught my attention, honestly, because it involves the city of Berkeley, California, home to the University of California, Berkeley, my beloved alma mater. So um, anyways, you may have heard a lot about sanctuary cities in the news lately, and typically these are in reference to cities that restrict local law enforcement from helping the feds enforce immigration laws. Um, In a kind of twist on this idea, the Berkeley City Council voted to make the city a sanctuary for recreational marijuana. So what this means is that no city resources in Berkeley, um, employees, funds, etc., can be used to aid or enforce federal marijuana laws. So basically, this further protects those that choose to sell, use, grow, etc., marijuana um, in the city of Berkeley. Basically, I think they're taking a stand. I mean, this is continued kind of ripple effect fallout from Attorney General Sessions' decision to rescind the coal memo last month that kind of has sparked this whole conversation about whether or not the federal government will start cracking down on legalized marijuana. And speaking of Jeff Sessions, he, the DEA, and the Department of Justice are the subject of a lawsuit brought by five plaintiffs who claim that the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration's classification of marijuana as a Schedule One drug is irrational, unconstitutional, and basically motivated by political gain, not actual science. So, in short, the nearly 100-page complaint um, claims that the federal government is violating the constitutional rights of medical marijuana users by classifying weed as a Schedule One drug. Um, Schedule one drugs is the most stringent category um, that's restricted to drugs that basically have no medical use or are deemed to have no medical use and a high potential for abuse. So, for example, weed shares this category with heroin and LSD, to give you an idea. Um, The plaintiffs in this case that we're talking about include a 35-year-old Army veteran who says marijuana has helped treat his uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and a 12-year-old who uses weed to control epilepsy. Oral arguments were heard in this lawsuit last week, and as the New York Times reported, the judge who is hearing the case, Alvin K. Hellerstein, has said he will give it prioritized attention, that's quotes around prioritized attention, um, ahead of all of his other cases. So while we don't really know how this is going to pan out, we know that it's important and people are definitely paying attention. And lastly, we have a few facts and figures for you because we don't get to deal with those too often on this show. 
Um, There's been a lot of anecdotal discussion about how much money California's legal weed industry is generating and how many job opportunities it's creating. But recently, uh, the job search website ZipRecruiter actually released a report that kind of puts things in perspective. The report showed that the number of cannabis job postings increased by 445% in 2017. So to compare that, last year in the health industry, uh, jobs rose 70% and the number of tech jobs rose by 254%. Um, And the bulk of the weed jobs advertised, unsurprisingly, were clustered in LA and San Francisco, followed by Denver and Seattle. I mean, numbers like this are helpful, I think, for the people who are already um, on board with legal marijuana. This is just, you know, extra, an extra argument in their support. Um, And for other people, I think the economic argument is one of the strongest in terms of convincing them of the good this can do. Um, And especially in California, I mean, some of these numbers are huge. And so for some people, the idea of creating that many job opportunities um, at a disproportionate rate, even than a lot of other fastly growing um, industries in the state, it could be pretty convincing. All right. So now that we've taken care of the news business, we're going to go straight into our interview with Broccoli Magazine founder Anya Charbonneau. Um, But here's a little intro to the magazine if you haven't seen it. It's brand new. It just launched out of Portland, Oregon. It comes out every few months, and they've released uh, two issues so far. Broccoli is put out by a staff of women and designed for women and includes beautiful photography, original artwork, stories, illustrations, kind of all inspired by cannabis. It, It looks like no other weed publication I've ever seen and definitely has a kind of fashion event. There's lots of muted pinks and greens and still life imagery. It kind of makes me think of the Girl Gaze projects mixed with Dazed Magazine, but I'm still not doing it justice and those references are kind of obscure, I realize. So check out broccolimag.com for a visual. It'll help kind of set the scene for this interview. All right, so here's our conversation with Anya. Hi, Anya. We're here with Anya Charbonneau, um, who is founder and creative director at Broccoli. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, We kind of wanted to start off, you know, Broccoli doesn't look like any other weed publication that I've seen. And we've looked at quite a few over the last few years. So I'm curious, you know, um, how did you come up with kind of the idea and the aesthetic for it? And how do you think it's a departure from what most people would think of as, you know, typical psychedelic, colorful stoner art? Totally. So I come from a publishing and photography background. I was working for Kinfolk Magazine before this. And Seeing the, the legal weed scene developing here in Portland, where I live, was really inspiring with a lot of really good products and dispensaries and everything kind of evolving in this super creative way. So I wanted to see like an equally forward-thinking and design-driven magazine in these spaces so that the media side could have that same treatment. And I think that there's part of me that really, really loves that sort of psychedelic, colorful 60s aesthetic. So we're bringing in touches of that, but also giving it kind of a clean and modern treatment at the same time. So we're like 
marrying the the beautiful and easy to grasp things with a little bit of the touches of the weird and and like mind bending <laughs> appearances. <laughs> You know, I guess we should take a step back for some of our listeners who might not have gotten to see the magazine yet. Could you kind of describe it to us, um, you know, what you think the vibe and the feel is? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we really wanted to make a cannabis magazine that would be looking at looking at weed and cannabis culture from like an art and fashion and music and lifestyle perspective. So not not focusing only on just the plant and strains and close-up photos of of nugs, but like looking at how cannabis fits into people's lives and the ways that it touches the more like creative and sensory parts of life. So I think that um you know it can be part of food and music and art and we just weren't seeing that in other magazines. So we wanted to bring that take to it and also make it look a little bit um, more conceptual and art forward and bring in a lot of photography and stuff like that too. Um, And we also wanted to ask, you know, you obviously you come from Kinfolk and I saw you interviewed in Vogue. How do you see this? You know, I can't imagine even a few years ago um, them having an interview like that in vogue or about such a um you know weed focused issue so how do you think like that whole transition is playing out and i mean did you could you imagine something like this um being featured you know in glossy glossy fashion magazines it's really cool to see it happening i think that the timing is really right right now and we're seeing more and more like mainstream and like heritage publications talking about cannabis which is really awesome and i think that it helps a lot to get it out in these super widely read publications. So I'm all for it. And it's funny too, because a lot of, when we reach out to people who are maybe like a generation or two older than us, and we want to feature their work, they're, they're like really hesitant, but then it's kind of helpful to have this, this type of stuff and these press appearances to be like, but see, like they said it was okay. So maybe they'll be more open to it. I wrote to um, a photographer that I love who shot a lot in the 70s and 80s, and she used to shoot for Vogue, but she just couldn't do it. She's like, I know, I see what you're doing. It's cool, but I can't be connected with cannabis. So I'm kind of tempted to go back and say, like, well, now that Vogue is okay with it, (laughs) maybe you don't mind. I don't know. It's interesting. It's good to see that shift, though. There's so many great pieces coming out right now about um, you know, like microdosing and the way that cannabis is touching the health and wellness industry. And I think people's minds are really becoming more open and they're becoming more accustomed to seeing it. So that's going to help kind of bit by bit change their perspective. And what, you know, since we're kind of on this whole topic, we've heard a lot of people say that they would be happy to have the weed leaf retired and a lot of this overused imagery. What do you think are some of the, um, you know, design elements or aspects of uh, the stoner aesthetic that you are done with and that you think should maybe be retired at this point? Yeah. The thing with the pot leaf, it's so funny because (laughs) that does come to mind. Like all of the, all of the imagery that we've seen a million times and it it can get really cheesy and really played out. But we worked with um, a really talented floral designer, Amy Merrick for our cover story that we made these um, uh, like Japanese floral arrangement. It's Ikebana. So we made these Ikebana style arrangements with hemp leaves 
and like really focused in on how elegant and beautiful the leaves and the shapes of the plant actually are. We, we were lucky enough to be able to just pull and cut plants from a big hemp field down in Southern Oregon. And like we took little daisies from the field where they were growing and got to present them in this really art forward way that I think appealed to a lot of people who might not normally be drawn to pot leaf or cannabis motifs. Like it, it presented it in a new way that I think made people realize that, you know, it really is special and it really is beautiful. And you can always look at something with a new, with fresh eyes. I love that. <laughs> That's really cool. I mean, because, Cannabis isn't necessarily thought of, e- even as folks in the industry try so hard to sort of reinvent it in various ways. It's not really thought of as a design forward, art forward, aesthetic or sort of su- subculture. What do you see as making it such a strong subject for a not not just like a, a coffee table book, but like an, an ongoing arts and, and culture and, and fashion magazine? Well, I think we're finding, first of all, for it to be in a print magazine, that it's really tapping into the, the really creative and sensory parts of the experience of, of using cannabis. So, like, it, we're taking people away from their screens where they're probably actually interacting with, with weed in real life. So being able to hold a magazine in their hands, I think, helps a lot. And then I also find that, you know, we, we keep going down these different rabbit holes of which subject cannabis is connected to and the list just keeps getting longer and longer like you know you can look at the way that people use food with infused dinners and edibles and you can look at music the way that people like to create different types of music and art when they're using weed or I mean the list just it goes on it touches so many parts of life that I think we're realizing that there's no shortage of stories to tell and and things to connect it with so we're we're like, we wish we were making more magazines per year at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a big part of uh, Broccoli that uh, you've talked about, you know, and it's on it's on your guys' landing page is that it's a magazine, you know, by women and for women. Um, and I'm curious, you know, why is making this distinction important up front? And how do you think Broccoli and, you know, slowly other efforts kind of like it can help get through what is sometimes a Roe uh, culture that is the cannabis industry. I think on the on the back end and the business side of things, there aren't very many women-owned media companies at all. So I think that's important for us to really call out. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to hiring the people that work on the magazine, like photographers and writers, and choosing who we're interviewing, we really are prioritizing women's voices because, again, in media you don't see that happening very often. And I think that it's it's really tapping into that opportunity that people are seeing in cannabis to build an industry in a different way than what's out there already. So I think that by, by prioritizing these things now, we're, we're like trying to do our part in that shaping of, of cannabis. And I think that anybody could enjoy broccoli. It's just that we need to make these opportunities available for people who usually don't get them. You know, we we talked a little bit uh, about what the magazine covers and kind of how uh, 
diverse uh, it is and kind of the opportunities are with uh, weed. But, you know, and I saw a re- your recent piece about a imaginary dispensary, the first world's first dispensary for cats. Um, and so I'm wondering, you know, as creative director there, what is your vision for like the long-term goals of the magazine? And, you know, do you plan to try and release it more often or cover more, um, you know, an increasing um uh, portions of news kind of what's what's the grand plan for it I think that right now we're sort of exploring which parts are really going to spark interest for our readers like we when we sent out the first issue we started finding that people kept sending us pictures of the magazine when they would receive it with their cats so we were like okay they're cat people <laughs> we're ready to do our cat weed art for the next issue so actually I can't wait for people to read that article it's probably my favorite one in our second issue. Um, Our deputy editor, Ellen Freeman, wrote it. And it's like, really like poking fun at ourselves and everyone else by kind of like spinning a almost like a press release about what it would be like if cats opened their own dispensary of luxury catnip. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that, that that one is just for fun. And I think that that's something important that I mean, having fun with it is really important to us. And I think a lot of um, the existing publications that are cannabis focused have forgotten. They forgot to have fun and it maybe got a little too serious. But overall, our goal is to help normalize cannabis use for everyone. And by there's so many different ways to do that. So we're looking at educating, but also showing it in these different um, situations, like with the, the cannabis ikebana. It's like, if you see it in a, in a way that you haven't seen it before, it might change your mind. So we're really like exploring a lot of different ways that we can help push forward normalization. And a big goal for us after um, the first issue was released, we were hearing from a lot of women around the world, like not just in North America, not just in the West Coast, but we're, you know, we were being being contacted by women that live in India and Hong Kong and South Africa a lot of people in Brazil and Germany, hmm. and it was really fascinating to see that, like, this can- the cannabis community is not just North American, and it's really a lot bigger than I think we imagined that it would be. So we're really prioritizing ways to tell a bigger story than just what's happening here locally, and find ways to connect all these women because they are there. They they're there, and they're they are a community, and they just kind of need a tool to come together. So hopefully that's that's what we can be for them. Before before we we called you, we asked you to prepare any thoughts on your own sort of consumption or what what you enjoy. Anything you like uh, you want to share? Totally. I mean, one of the most wonderful things about legalization is having control and being able to really pick and choose what you're getting. So my personal favorite has become vape. Like I, lo- I think they're just so reliable and I know exactly what experience I'm going to have when I use them. My favorite one is an Oregon company, well, of course, Oregon company, because that's where I live, um, called The Quill. And they're just, they're great. And my favorite thing to do is to just put my headphones in, go for a really long walk and just have like a little bit and see where it takes me and spend some time taking pictures of flowers or whatever, <laughs> whatever I come across on the walk. That's like my ideal is just kind of a, a solo experience, but also being out in the world with other people, but like on my own, on my own journey. 
And I think um, another another thing that we had run by you that we're trying to get, um, you know, to ask everybody is, and obviously since you have a background in this, um, if you have a favorite, uh, you know, piece of art or literature, or pop culture, anything kind of weed related or inspired um, that you keep that you keep going back to. I think my favorite thing, sort of recently, I discovered that um, the band Chibomato put out an album. Of- couple years ago and they're like a night like amazing 90s band that does really funny conceptual like poppy weird music that's uh a lot of it's about food (laughs) but they they so they find I find just realized that they had put out another album called Hotel Valentine and it's this weird story about a hotel and there's a lot of kind of like housekeeper banter in the lyrics, but they talk about smoking weed in it. Think about it. I have a master key. Forget about it. Nobody's watching me. He made a big stain, but it wasn't Chianti. Close my eyes. I took your weed. And they've painted this. There's a ghost. Like, <laughs> there's so many weird little snippets of a story that they're they're giving you as the listener and you can kind of like shape your vision of what Hotel Valentine is like. I don't know. It's just cool to hear anyone talk a... actually talk about weed in an album that isn't like in an expected way. And it's really fun to listen to. That is a really good answer. <laughs> it's, um... it's not an easy question to answer. I was kind of racking my brain at first. And then I was like, oh, I remember if they talk about weed in this album. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That was Anya Charbonneau. Once again, you can find her magazine Broccoli at BroccoliMag.com. I highly recommend checking it out. Even the website design is beautiful. And that's it for this week. As always, let us know what you think of the show and what you want to know more about. You can email us your questions, comments, doodles, hate mail at hello at weedweek.net or hit us up on social media at weedweeknews. You can also find me on Twitter at epfox, like the animal. If you're feeling generous, hit us up on iTunes with a rating or comment. We are a new show, so every review counts. I'm Haley Fox, and my co-host Alex will be back next week. Our producer is Katie Long, and Alicia Beyer wrote our theme music. All right, until next week. 